Welcome to Reach MDGI Insights. This is your host, Dr. Peter Buck. The COVID era has certainly demonstrated the usefulness of telemedicine. But what is the future of telemedicine after COVID? Here to answer this question and share his experiences is Dr. Andres Niedo. Dr. Niedo is an internist with Doctor in Demand and an assistant professor at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine. Dr. Niedo, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Let's dive right in. Dr. Niedo, how do you develop an online rapport with a patient who you may not have previously met? You know, I actually don't think it's much different than when you're seeing a patient in the clinic. I actually think it's easier to develop the rapport with a telemedicine visit than in the clinic because you're, in most cases, you're in the patient's home with their family members. I feel like I'm a guest in their house. And so it's a much more pleasant environment for the patient. And so a lot of the barriers and the challenges of being in an outside environment, or I think the patient is more stressed being in their home, it makes things a lot easier. So it's not hugely different, but actually easier to chat with the patients. Would you have any suggestions for those who are just coming into telemedicine in terms of developing that rapport? Yeah, with Doctor on Demand, we have kind of different elements. We've got kind of an urgent care and a virtual primary care setting that we manage patients and I think in both, it, it almost applies perhaps a little bit more towards the virtual primary care. I think it helps to, for the patients to be prepared for the visit. So if they have their records already uploaded into the system, it can make things a lot easier for the patient. So, you know, if the patient is well prepared for the visit at the beginning of the visit, I'll often give perhaps a little bit more of a prolonged consent where I kind of let the patients know what to expect during the visit to make things go a little bit easier. So I'll say something to the effect that introduce myself to the patient. You know, I like to make sure I've got their correct name, their location, and their phone number. And I think that's probably one of the most important things to have is their location, their address correct, and their phone number. Because there are some situations where I've had patients collapse and lose consciousness during the visit and during kind of more severe settings, and we have to have EMS come to the patient's house. And so if you can make sure you've confirmed the address and location of the patient, that's helpful if you have to have EMS come to the patient because when we submit our emergency button to access EMS, coordinating staff there will need to know, make sure we've confirmed everything and we usually try to stay on with them. And so I think the introduction is probably the most important part with establishing the rapport and, and the kind of the parameters of the setting, setting the right expectations. Very important. Would you kindly share useful remote exam strategies? Yeah, this largely depends upon what you're seeing the patient for. In most cases, particularly during the pandemic, you know, with this being kind of upper respiratory, I'll have the patient taking, you know, a deep breath with a large full exhalation. Sometimes you'll can hear an auditory expiratory wheeze. I always like to have the patients, and even if I've seen them outside of an upper respiratory, I always tell them it's a good idea to have a pulse oximeter. That's extremely helpful to have, particularly when evaluating a COVID patient. You know, when I'm seeing somebody with COVID or concerned for COVID, I like to have them do some ambulatory oximetry. And so I'll have them first check the pulse ox while they're sitting. If everything is the oxygen's fine, they're not particularly tachycardic. And then I'll make them walk for a few minutes and then I'll just watch to see how low the oxygens get. If I see anything 193 or below, that's my prompt for having them you know, seek a higher level of care. And then with gastrointestinal illnesses and stuff like that, it's useful to have uh, you know, a blood pressure cuff. Many cases, the patients don't. The pulse ox is helpful for, you know, assessing for tachycardia. I'll try to do a cursory orthostatics just based on heart rate increase from sitting to standing. You know, if I get a, you know, above a 20 the heart rate increase um, sitting to standing, then I'll say that, look, you're very tachycardic. And so I think you're 
dehydrated. You're dehydrated enough to, I think, warrant a higher level of care. And in a lot of cases, the patients don't have that. And so one of the things I'll have them do is download a heart rate app on their phone. In, in many cases, especially with the gastrointestinal system, dehydration and so forth, you know, you'll, you'll see a pretty notable tachycardia. And the patients are wondering, can I manage this at home or, can I, or do I need to go in? Do I need IV fluids? And so a lot of times they're sitting around in their house with their family who's really pushing them to go and they don't want to. But when they see the severity of the tachycardia, that's often the, the needed nudge that I can get them to go. So kind of getting those you know, objective measures can be very helpful for assessing the patient. The throat exam, one of the things I'll often do with patients is with most of the newer phones, you can flip to the rear camera and turn on the flashlight on the back of the phone and then you just guide them. You, you make sure they know, in many cases, they'll say, okay, now I'm going to have you put your finger over the camera so that they know where the camera is because a lot of patients will think the camera is kind of somewhere in the middle of the phone. They hold it there. So I put your finger over the camera. That's where the camera is once they, you know, I can see it over there so that they know. And then I'll have them guide the flashlight to their mouth and we can do the, a good throat exam. The older phones, you can't really do that with. And so I like natural light. And so I'll say, I want to have you go to the window. And then when you got natural light shining in, the, it illuminates the throat rather well and you can get a pretty good throat exam. Those are kind of the, some of the different uh, useful remote exam strategies that I use. There are more, but those are kind of the more common ones that I'll use. Thank you. What are your thoughts about a telemedicine visit prior to a physical exam? That actually happens a lot. Just yesterday, I had a, a, a patient for that same reason. And I think it's actually very useful the patients in many cases, they have a lot of concerns and the visits with their primary cares locally are sometimes very time limited. And so they'll want to know what things they should focus on when they go in for their physical exam, what questions to ask their primary care. Although the visits with us are actually relatively short, they're about 15 minute visits. The time spent in those 15 minutes is more maximized in a sense that the intake is so much less. They go directly to me. I have the information there. I'm in their house. I can reconcile their medications in their own medicine cabinets, you know, with them. Family members can ask questions and so forth. And so, and then, you know, at the end, I can give them a summary. These are the things that I think would be important, pertinent to bring up when you see your physician locally or your specialist. And so you get more synergy with the in-person exam, with the um, telemedicine visit. And so, yeah, I think it's very helpful to have the telemedicine visit prior to flush out the more pertinent things that can be focused on during the in-person physical exam. Yeah, I think the key is helping the patient focus. Yes. For those of you just joining us, this is Dr. Peter Buck. We're joined by Dr. Andres Nieto, who is discussing telemedicine. Dr. Nieto, how do you minimize medical liability in telemedicine? So I think there's kind of a few things, like I mentioned earlier, the consent. I think, you know, at the beginning of the visit, setting the stage for what the patient can expect is very important at the start of the visit. And then I think close follow-up is also very useful. My threshold is a little lower for having somebody get seen locally for something that may be cardiac. I'll push them to, you know, see an urgent care or primary care. We got the emergency button to access CMS if we need to. So I think with liability, a lot of it is just some um, transparency, you know, letting everybody know what you can do and then make it very clear to the patient that there are limitations to what we can do. In some cases, you need to be seen locally. One of the other challenges as well, and it can get a little bit more complicated with medical liabilities in the sense that we're dealing with multiple states. I'm licensed in 14 states and with the pandemic, several other states had asked for support. And so they've given temporary licenses. I'm licensed in several other states outside of the ones I, I usually cover. I mostly cover the Northeast and, and uh, Florida and um, a few states in the Midwest. And now I'm covering Idaho, Texas, Iowa, Kentucky as well. And so 
the way the law works is you have to be licensed in the place where the patient is located. And so, you know, in some cases, the patient's driving a moving vehicle or some patients will call from an airplane. We don't do the visits if they're on an airplane because that gets complicated legally. Some patients will call from outside the country. Outside the country, we can give advice, but we cannot prescribe. And so I think it's useful to have the resource when you're outside the country for it so I can give guidance to patients so, you know, when they need to be seen, especially for traveler's diarrhea and so forth. And that's one of the things that helps you establish the rapport. In many cases, I always tell the patient, I'm the doctor in your pocket. I go with you on vacation with you. You can access me whenever you need me, but there are limitations when you're outside the country. And so it all comes back to, I think, to transparency and making sure everybody knows what you can do. I think the risk is largely less when you make sure that's clear. Thank you. And before we conclude today, what additional thoughts would you like to share with our audience? We talked about kind of the newer technologies and so forth. I think there's a lot of opportunity with some of the newer technologies there's technology with the Cardia device for checking your EKGs at home. A lot of patients have them on their Apple Watch. So they can kind of give you one lead on the Apple Watch. I think that needs to be used with caution, but it's a helpful tool for picking up you know, types of arrhythmias and so forth. So I think there's a lot of opportunity with some of the newer home monitoring devices. There's otoscope devices that attach to the phone. I've had the opportunity to use that in a few cases with patients. I think it's a very neat novel technology. I think down the road, they'll be coming up with the ability for us to be able to auscultate remotely and so forth as well. Some of it needs to be used with caution. I think the transparency needs to be there. So we just have to take it with kind of guarded optimism when how we use these newer tools. Great. That's all the time we have for today. I wanted to thank Dr. Nieto for sharing his insights on telemedicine. Thanks for having me. For ReachMD, this is Dr. Peter Buck. To access this episode as well as others, visit reachmd.com slash GI insights where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for joining us today.